0: Welcome to Sludge, an American healthcare story, the podcast that shares stories about the broken and biased U.S. healthcare system. I'm your host, Caitlin, no longer full of sludge Durante. We are still in the middle of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. I hope everyone is doing okay. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're hanging in there to all the essential workers, doctors, nurses, healthcare providers in general, thanks to all the hard work you're doing during this pandemic. That being said, the rest of this episode is me once again being critical of certain healthcare providers. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded in late 2019. Definitely pre quarantine and social distancing times. Uh, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who talks about her experience with voluntarily being sterilized, aka she got a tubal ligation, commonly known as getting your tubes tied. And later in the episode, you'll hear a more recent conversation recorded over Zoom, of course, again. Social distancing. Uh, this is a conversation that I had with another friend who recently had a vasectomy. So, this episode is all about people getting sterilized. Enjoy! Yeah. Just the usual disclaimer I am not a medical professional. Uh, my guest today is also not, at least that I'm aware of. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> no. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't believe we've gone to medical school. Uh, so we're not here to give anyone any medical advice. We are just people who have had to deal with this healthcare system. My guest, you've already heard her voice, but let me introduce her properly. She is a comedian and writer. It's Megan Keister. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. Welcome to my living room. I love being here. (laughs) It's a joy. It's a treat.
1: Uh You know, anytime you want me to get you some tap water. Okay. okay. Oh, tap's just on the other side of the wall. Right now, please.
0: I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, thanks for joining me today. Sure. So I wanted to have you on the podcast because you wrote an article that I believe was published in March 2019. Yeah, that tracks. And it's about a specific healthcare experience that you went through. The article was uh, entitled, Sterilization was my choice. It felt like everyone else's. And this was in Experience Magazine mm-hmm. at expmag.com. <laughs> it's, that's a lot of consonants all at once. Yeah. Um, So could you give us a brief overview about what your experience was, and then we'll do like a deeper dive? Well,
1: I always thought I was infertile.
0: I was Mm -hmm. told that I was when I was about 18 years old.
1: I was in, um, I did a lot of medical studies when I was younger. Oh, same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To get money, right? Yeah, yeah, to get yeah, money, uh-huh, yeah. And yeah. I was in,
1: like, sort of the beta testing group for the HPV vaccine. Oh, And yeah. so that required, like, a thorough gynecological, you know, investigation. Mm-hmm. They really rooted around down there. <laughs> and uh, my mother had had fertility issues her whole life, too. Okay. But the doctor said that I would have fertility issues, in the, you know, in the future, mm-hmm. which honestly was a blessing because I never wanted kids even when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I was always operating under the assumption that I wasn't fertile until I got pregnant, mm-hmm. like, right before my 35th birthday. <sighs> And I got the abortion on my thirty fifth birthday. No like, kidding. Well, self care. But also, I mean, it was the first appointment they had available. So I was just like, All right, fuck it. And getting an abortion on my thirty fifth birthday. Know, Treat yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. Like spa day or whatever. Um so I got it. But then I was like, you know, I Started talking to all my friends and every everyone I know who's like heterosexual or bisexual is on birth control, Mm -hmm. and just there's just all these horror stories and nothing seemed you know people just jump from one to one their whole life and given the fact that I never wanted kids in the first place I was just like well I should just get sterilized Mm -hmm. so I decided to go through the rigmarole of doing that and it was a pain in the ass and it got to the point (laughs) where I pretty much just did it out of spite. Because okay. they didn't want me to do it. You uh-huh. know, if that makes any sense. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so now I'm sterilized. Congratulations. Thank you so much.
0: What was that process like from kind of the moment you decided that you wanted to get the procedure till it actually being completed? Sure. How was that process?
1: Well, I'm on medi because, mm-hmm. you know are we, you are you
0: also i was for quite some time Oh, okay um when i live when i first moved to california yeah um, i've been able i've been lucky enough to graduate to a slightly less shitty <laughs> <laughs> health insurance but i think it's probably close to it
1: yeah yeah i mean MediCal for those who don't live here is just sort of it's i mean it's bare minimum health care but i mean when i got pregnant they paid for the abortion, okay. you know, and it wasn't an issue at all. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is, you know, standard operating procedure, especially living in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was when I wanted to start talking about getting sterilized that it started becoming more difficult, which I didn't really understand why it would be so easy to get an abortion. In perpetuity, one would assume. Right. But I'm asking for the procedure that would stop me from ever needing an abortion in the future. Right. And yet that was a pain in the ass. Uh huh. So (laughs) when I first I first talked to somebody, I had to consult with a doctor and told her like the whole rigmarole. I'm 35. I've never had kids. I never wanted kids. Mm -hmm. And you basically have to like plead your case to somebody. Right. And I later found out that the law is that in at least in California. Anyone who's over 25 and is of, quote, sound mind can be sterilized. Okay. But the fact that it's just so politicized, a lot of people, it's hard to find a doctor who's willing to do it if you haven't already had children. Right. Was the issue. So I, like, spilled my guts out to this woman who ended up not being the one that would actually do the procedure. Mm -hmm. But she told me that she would, quote, advocate for me. To a doctor in the hospital
0: okay. in the
1: hopes that one of them would choose, you know, choose me because it's still an elective procedure. Right. So if they decline it, then I would have been SOL. Right. Essentially. Um, and also there was there's a thirty mandatory 30-day 30 waiting period with Medi-Cal. I think if you have mm. private insurance, this might be easier.
0: Um, so the moment you decide you want the tubal ligation procedure and the moment you could actually get it has to be at least 30 days. It has to be, yeah, you have to
1: fill out this specific kind of paperwork and it has to be filled out perfectly. I remember them saying like, if you have one, one letter incorrectly, you have to like throw it away and get a new form. So everything has to be filled out perfectly. Like everything in the, I had to like write in the bubble perfectly, (laughs) like not have it go over the bubble when I'm entering letters and shit. Uh And there's the th- mandatory 30-day waiting period, hoping that you'll change your mind, of course. Most women who get this procedure get it after they've had a kid. Right. Like, if they're already down there while you're have- giving birth, they're just going to—it's mm-hmm. really easy procedure. But if you are on Medi-Cal and you want to get it, you have to make sure this paperwork is exact and it has to be filed— exactly when it should be and if you have if you give birth like before or after this weird window Mm -hmm. they won't do it okay which is like so completely fucked you know Uh but yeah so i had to fill out this form wait the requisite 30 days and then after the 30 days see if this woman could find a doctor who was willing to do it and she ended up finding a doctor that was willing to do it okay and then it took a while for it to be scheduled because it's an elective procedure right and it ended up being scheduled in a Catholic hospital. Interesting. Which is like yeah. <laughs> the separation of church and state. You wouldn't think that a publicly funded like medical program would ha- send someone to a Catholic hospital. And yet That's here true. we are. Yeah. So yeah, I remember like, checking in for it. And someone saying, okay, the place where you have to go is you have to go over here, walk around. Uh, you're going to see a statue of Jesus Christ. Just <laughs> take a right around the statue of Jesus Christ. You know. And I got in there and it was just... It was pretty evident that a lot of people that were working there, like, didn't agree with uh-huh, what I was doing. Uh-huh. You know, like, I remember there was a nurse who was really nice and shit. And then he was like, ah, so no more babies, huh? And I'm like, yeah, no more babies, man. He's like, so how many babies do you have? I said, none. I don't have any babies. And he just, like, his face fell. I was uh-huh. just like, oh, okay. And it just people just kept coming into the room while I was, like, ready for surgery. Like, asking over and over, like, are you sure? Like, what if I decided, you know what I mean? What if today's the day I decided, you know what? Yeah, I want to have fucking kids. It's like, nothing's ever going to have. Are you sure? And then I remember the anesthesiologist was such a dismissive dickhead. He made it kind of seem like they were going to put me under by putting uh, a mask on me, okay, I guess, because yeah. you have to go under to get the procedure. Right. But uh, I didn't know he was going to be injecting me with something that would take me under. So he showed up late in the surgical room and was just like pulling my arm around, like yanking it kind of like oh harshly gosh. and injected something in me. And it was like I kind of remember... It's like in that scene in The Big Lebowski where the dude passes out, where it's just like I'm looking around uh-huh. and I'm just like, wait, it's not supposed to happen like this. <laughs> and then just like darkness. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then I, you know, like woke up like a couple hours later in the fetal position, like freezing alone oh, in like a no. hospital bed.
0: Yeah. After my gallbladder surgery, the anesthesiologist woke me up by slapping me in the face a bunch. Really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, surely there's a better way to do this. Is that standard operating medical procedure? You know what? I don't know. (laughs) But she's like, wake up. I was like, ah, oh, (laughs) like, ah. Okay, whatever you say okay so no one in the hospital was pro you having it didn't really seem like it now
1: i mean Uh inherently i suppose the doctor because she chose she in her infinite you know benevolence Mm. chose (laughs) to do this to a fucking woman who had never had kids before right but yeah it was pretty evident that you know my purpose was to breed
0: (laughs) well that is the thing here so the implications of of this story is that society at large, including many healthcare providers, mm-hmm. see women or anyone with a uterus because not, not everyone with a uterus identifies as a woman, but people with uteruses are seen as being vessels for baby making. Sure. yeah. And the fact that someone who does have a uterus but doesn't want to use it to procreate that is frowned upon by <laughs> Mr. Society. Well, it's
1: also not trusting a woman. Or that it's, too, you know, exactly. Like, trusting me to know I'm secure in the fact that I should never have fucking kids. I'm never going to have a lifestyle that would be conducive to having kids. You're right. I don't Same. have a good background with my own parents. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, I don't want kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in my 20s, even, just to make sure I completely had it out of the way, I tried to get sterilized. Oh, really? Um, and that was impossible because no one's going to do it when you're in your 20s because they always think, like, you know, you'll, come to us when you're in your you'll 30s. You'll change your mind. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you're mm-hmm. going to change your mind.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It is a deep distrust of women and just assuming that women don't know themselves well enough to know what they want. Right. So a little background. I have, I think we have kind of similar approaches to motherhood, which is that we don't want to do it. (laughs) Right. When I was, I think, 28, and I think I might've told this story on the podcast before, but I wanted to get a birth control that was an implant that they stick in your arm that lasts for three years. Yeah. And... I was on Medi-Cal at the time, and all the doctors and nurses that I saw at this appointment were like, oh, geez, though, uh, Caitlin, you're... 28 years old this is like the prime age that you you know you're going to want to be maybe having kids right have a fear child the, right reassuring. you know this birth control lasts for three years you know it's not permanent we could take it out but we don't like to take it out before the time's up so you have to be really sure that you know in the next three years you're not going to change your mind and decide you want to have kids right and I said I don't know what to tell you to assure you that I have never wanted kids and I never will want kids sure but that is the case and they're like yeah but are you sure <laughs> and it's just like what what is it what is this like you just can't trust a woman to know what she wants especially in terms of her like reproduction right I hate it's so ugh, I hate it <laughs>
1: No, I mean, yeah, we have no autonomy we don't, over, we, you know. over that, basically.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's
1: funny you bring that up because when I was trying, when I was getting the consultation for the sterilization, they kept trying to push an IUD on me instead, mm. where it's just like, why don't you just do the IUD and then, you know, you can just take it out whenever you want. Right. It's like, well, I've heard bad things about IUDs. I don't want to fuck an IUD. And they're like, well, okay, for the 30 day waiting period, do you want us to just put an IUD in while you wait? Mm. So do I want you to put an IUD in and then take it out in 30, 30 days. days later? Right. No, I'm good. Yeah. You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> <laughs> just fucking
1: trust me. I will right. not fuck for a month. All right. <laughs> just like chill out.
0: Uh, my sister had an IUD in for I think maybe 2 days because it hurt yeah. so bad and it was causing her such severe cramping and bleeding that she had to go and like get it taken out in like an emergency situation because it was ruining her life. Um, Which is why I've never had an IUD because I think, you know, my uterus is all messed up down there. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Uh, But when I was contemplating what like birth control thing I should do when I was 28, I was like, can I, I was like looking into a tubal ligation Mm -hmm. and I had my, like my PCP flat out told me, you won't find any surgeon willing to do that until you're at least 35 if you don't already have kids. And I said, Oh, well, fuck me then. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it, it just, it always comes down to healthcare providers harboring these biases against women that are like, well, you know, we can't trust you to know what you want. Sure. If you're still of like a fertile age, then you're, you need to keep your, Reproductive system intact, just in case, because you know you've we've heard the same things over and over. It's you'll change your mind. Mm. You just wait a little bit. You know you, you haven't met the right man yet. That's <laughs> one I get all the time. You sure, and it's just like you fucking idiot. The if if I were to ever partner with someone, the right partner for me would be someone who also does Doesn't not want. want to have children. Right, and they just there's a, such a lack of comprehension there. I yes. mean, again, if you think about the fact like. In order to
1: get tubal ligation, the only requirements that you're over 21 and you don't sign mind. And so anybody depriving you of that is actually violating the law. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And yet it's so prevalent that I guess it doesn't, I mean, I don't, what what am I going to do to sue the state of California
0: for not (laughs) sterilizing me or something? You know what I mean? I mean, you could probably get like the ACLU behind you
1: (laughs) try something. You don't understand what a bad parent I would be. Just fucking sterilize me now. <laughs> sterilize me yesterday, dude. Yeah, I mean, I was 35. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were still pulling this shit for someone who's 35, like, it guess right. it just
0: never ends? I don't know. Right, you'd have to be almost close to, like, menopausal age before they'd even take you, like, seriously. Right. And it's like, well, you're... And then, then you're, what would the, be the point of right, doing cause it? because you're almost <laughs> like, to menopause. Right. Uh and then also you mentioned earlier and also in your article that, um, you know, women who are on private insurance have an easier time yeah. getting this, Yeah. um, which I mean, the implications of that are just that like higher income women, cause that's usually who can afford mm-hmm. private insurance are somehow more deserving of like elective procedures. Right. And lower-income people don't get the luxury of having choices over their bodies. Sure, it's just you know women are baby factories, right? So no one seems to want to get over that. <laughs> um, well, I think that's that's about all I had in terms of you know questions or anything like that. Um, any any additional thoughts or? contributions anything you'd like to say for the listeners out there
1: i mean if anyone is in a similar position and feels daunted by the process Mm -hmm. because it is somewhat daunting sure just let that let that spike continue to motivate you because, I mean, you legally you're in the right. You're entitled to it. So, yeah, legally you are entitled to it. And is you that have across?
0: That, is that nationwide that like 21 and over law or is it state by state? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I we'll have to look into that. yeah we'll, I'll, Maybe I'll do a little footnote research <laughs> thing there. Yeah, um, I think it may be, mm-hmm. but I'm not entirely sure. Wow, it is baffling to know uh, how many healthcare providers are just uh, flat out disobeying the law by, you know, withholding procedures that people are legally entitled to. Well,
1: yeah, and especially when you have a conflict, like I said, like with the Catholic hospital, uh-huh. where it's just if you know I'm getting assistance publicly right. from MediCal,
0: don't send me to this judgmental hospital. Uh huh. Right. I mean, one of the main ethos of the Catholic Church is like procreate a bunch yeah exactly <laughs> that's kind of their
1: whole thing yeah, man.
0: don't be sterile <laughs> make lots of babies um yes that's good advice um it is i mean all health care is daunting uh unless you're like an uber billionaire sure uh and it is a matter of like being either a strong advocate for yourself or I mean, goodness bless the person who is willing to advocate for you so much. Right. um, Because like when you do find that person out there who is willing to advocate on your behalf, I mean, that can go a long way. But again, this whole podcast is about, you know, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're queer, if you're, you know, have invisible disabilities, anything like that, like you have to be such a strong advocate for yourself because, So many healthcare providers are so quick to dismiss, Mm -hmm. ignore. Um, Yeah. And they want you to give up. They
1: do. Yeah. With the whole, you know, I'll try to advocate for you thing. I just remember like going home from the appointment, just like sobbing. Mm -hmm. Like it seemed insurmountable. Like, what do you mean advocate? But then, you know, the more time that passed, the more I realized like I'm completely in the right. I know what I want. Mm hmm. OK, if someone won't advocate for me, then I guess I'm going to have to start calling, you know, right. numbers until I die, because <laughs> there's no way this isn't going to fucking happen. Right.
0: Yeah. Good. Good for you. <laughs> well, Megan, thank you so much no for, for being here with me today and for sharing your story um where can people follow you online plug your article and, and, <laughs> and stuff like that uh well you can follow me on instagram and twitter at born
1: and then <laughs> my website is inoffensivecomedian.com i got all my
0: writing and dates and shit like that on there excellent thank you so much Big thanks again to Megan Keister for coming on the podcast and sharing her experience. I really enjoyed that conversation. And if you want to learn more about Megan's experience, please read her piece entitled Sterilization Was My Choice, It Felt Like Everyone Else's. And you can find that on expmag.com. And I'll provide the link in the show notes. I'm going to take a quick break right now, but stay tuned because there's more. Welcome back. So, as I hinted at the beginning of this episode, I had another conversation with a friend who also recently had a sterilization procedure done. So, what follows is that conversation with my pal, fellow comedian Alan Strickland-Williams. So, Alan, hi. Thank you for for being here. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Would you mind... Walking me through your experience with your having been sterilized. You got a vasectomy mm-hmm. uh, recently, so I'm just curious to know all about your experience with that. So, basically,
2: I got it because I had a job, or still have a job, that has health insurance. And has pretty good health insurance. Um, mm-hmm. And so, that was kind of like my big thing was that I sort of and not just with that but like with other things too I was like I have this health insurance I should put it to good use Mm -hmm. um and in the back of my head I kind of always didn't want kids Mm -hmm. when I was much much younger I you know sort of saw myself getting married and having kids and doing the very traditional thing um Mm -hmm. but especially in the past like I would say five to seven years really it's been like no way am I gonna do it. Um mm-hmm. at, and and at least not where it's like it, it, if something changes and I want to do it, I'm I'm well aware you can adopt or you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So basically just went to my like general doctor and I was like, I wanna get a vasectomy. And they're like, Okay, well, you have to meet with the urologist, you recommended me to someone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I went to I have set an appointment with him and went to see him and I was like I want to get a vasectomy he was like why and I was like don't want kids and I want to keep it that way and he was just like all right <laughs> let's do this that was it he <laughs> yeah, was just like much.
0: cool that tracks makes sense to me yeah here's your vasectomy
2: <laughs> yeah I mean so then it was I don't remember when I had the consultation but it wasn't long well we had to figure out a time like with traveling and. It's so I, I talk about it a lot on stage and I'm very pro getting mm-hmm. Even if you think you might want to have kids later, you can get it reversed and it right. is just like it's so So basically what happens is you we had to find our date and I was, you know, I I I'm not gonna lie, I was just like How long do I have to wait until I can have sex? Like, that's basically like, you know, (laughs) it's also like the reason why I'm doing this.
0: An important concern. You know, it's like
2: I'm doing this so as to take a lot of the, I would say probably the biggest worry about having sex away from it Mm -hmm. for me personally. And uh, he was like, you know, most guys, they get this when they're older. They have to wait like a month. He was like, guy like you. Two weeks, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So you know, like it was basically just figuring out when that worked, and it w- it worked out for <laughs> November first. Mm-hmm. Um, so got it on November first of last year, and it's really weird because it's like you know I know that it's so hard for women to get the, to get sterilization done, mm-hmm. and it is it is easier for men to do it than women. And there's also just, you know, in general, there's less responsibility put on men for everything, right? Sure. <laughs> but but the one thing is that men are so, like, stupid and, like, don't understand. Like, women understand their bodies and they understand the way all these things work and what a hormonal birth control pill does and, you know, what a, um, you know, an IUD, the different kinds of IUDs and, you know, all this stuff. They, they mm-hmm. understand that men do not. And so men think that like your words, not mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, men, like they literally, they're like, Oh, so you like, you got your balls chopped off. Like they don't like, they don't understand. <laughs> that was sort of the thing that I've noticed that like people just don't really understand how it works. And it, I mean, it is invasive. It, it is, I was worried, mm-hmm. but, um, I cannot express how out of the things that have happened to me in my life that I've chosen to do and not chosen to do very minor inconvenience and like Mm -hmm. all upside, basically just all upside. And you know, I've been in relationships and and had friends and known women that, you know, obviously, and I'm sure you could talk about this better than I can, but you know, just the way that everything's sort of like geared is towards, you know, women taking care of it, men not thinking about it, Mm -hmm. but it's just night and day, like how it is for, I mean, I, I'm I you know you talked mm-hmm. to Megan like she had to like she yeah. had to like do an essay or something it's just like she had homework it's just like
0: <laughs> a lot of forms a lot of convincing well the the I guess the main question I have for you is just to confirm that when you went to the doctor and said, I want a vasectomy, there was no sort of like, well, are you sure about this? But what if you change your mind? You know, you're probably going to change your mind and want to have kids later, right? Because that's the conversation that women or anyone with a uterus will sure. have with their physicians. It's always like society, doctors, et cetera, Perceive you know, women and people with uteruses as baby making factories. So it's Mm -hmm. like, well, what is your purpose in the world if not to bear children? So you're telling me that you don't want to do that? Well, how can that be? That makes no sense. And it's because I've had this conversation with various medical professionals uh, that I've seen. I thought about being sterilized. I don't want children either. So, and they were like, well, you're not going to find any surgeon to do this on you until you're at least 35 Mm -hmm. and if you don't already have children it's going to be even harder for you like it's just so many hoops to jump through if you're a person with a uterus
2: (laughs) i've heard that too and i do i also kind of wonder i'm like if you just said that you had you had children i wonder if they would
0: if they would just go through with it maybe yeah
2: like i i don't know or i don't know if that would complicate things later or something but um Yeah, no, it was very, it was very simple. Literally one meeting. I think I don't even think he pressed the issue. I really think it was like, why do you want to do this? And I was like, I like my lifestyle the way it is. I don't want children. And he was like, All right, let's do this. Let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. And um, very easy procedure, in and out same day. Mm -hmm. I mean, hour. I was there for an hour. You know, like that, like you know, like that, Mm -hmm. like it was so fast. And also, like I mean, the the funniest part is like I come in. And he walks in and he just goes, Oh, very important question. What kind of music do you like? <laughs> and then he played music during the surgery. Okay. Like there like and it was four songs.
0: Well, you heard it here first, folks. Alan Strickland Williams really advocates strongly for people getting a vasectomy if they want. <laughs> and how easy it is.
2: Yeah. I can do it now, actually. I, I, I'm I'm equipped now to do it. To perform them? Yeah, yeah. Because if you get one, then you can actually perform the operation as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's like the, um, you know, pass it along. Take one, pass it down yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, very good. <laughs> pay
2: it forward. It's pay it forward. Pay
0: it, pay it forward. <laughs> <laughs> That's the expression I was trying to think of. Um, but we're in quarantine and my brain has turned to mush. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. It was exactly what I was hoping to hear, for many reasons, one, that you had such an easy, wonderful time of it, and and congratulations. Two, that it confirms, I mean, and and this is all pretty anecdotal, and it's all, you know, um, this is two experiences, like Megan's experience versus yours, but I think it is representative of a larger experience that a lot of people have, where people with uteruses trying to get sterilized have a much harder time than people with testicles and stuff
2: yeah no totally and I do think it is you know it's you know it's all about being intentional and sort of like really thinking about what you want and then also I do think you know if it's something you're thinking about as a dude think about it more talk to your doctor like I just like I would hope that more and more uh, men do it me too (laughs) yeah
0: well, thank you so much, Alan. Uh, this, this was great to hear. Happy to have you on. Thanks for talking about this.
2: Yeah, just good to talk to you too.
0: Yeah, like, I yes, I know it's been forever. <laughs> so uh, thanks again.
2: Anytime you want to talk about my vasectomy, just give me a
0: call. <laughs> I will, let's talk tomorrow. <laughs> cool. Thanks again to both Alan and Megan for chatting with me and sharing your stories. This paints an interesting picture because, as you've heard, two people of different genders had two very different experiences leading up to them getting sterilized. And unsurprisingly, the woman was given way more pushback and had a more difficult time than the man. Now, I'm not saying that every person with a uterus has a tremendously difficult time getting a tubal ligation. I'm not saying that every person with sperm has an easy breezy time getting a vasectomy, but this is the way it tends to go. I had a hard time finding any studies or surveys about this specifically. I don't think that any solid research about this has been done but I did find a lot of anecdotal evidence to support this. I read stories about women being refused a tubal ligation procedure because doctors said they were too young, even though many of these women were in their 30s. Doctors saying that they'd changed their mind, they'd regret having it done, or they didn't yet have enough children They would need to have more children before a doctor would consider sterilization, or they weren't married, so they couldn't possibly know yet that this was something that they wanted without consulting a partner that didn't yet exist for them. I read a story about a doctor telling a woman, well, sure, you and your current husband don't want kids, but what if your husband dies and you get married to another man who does want kids? ridiculous. I read a few accounts of women saying their doctors made their husbands sign off on them getting sterilized, but it was never the case that when a man was getting a vasectomy, his wife was required to sign off on it. I read a story about a woman who had a rare medical condition that meant getting pregnant could potentially be fatal to her, and doctors still tried to refuse performing a tubal ligation citing her age and the fact that she had no children and no husband. But the good news here is that she kept strongly advocating for herself, and finally the doctors relented. There are countless stories like this, and once again, it comes down to sexism and prejudice and bias. It's the idea that if you have a uterus, there's the expectation that you should use it to rear children, and there's the assumption that you will want to do that, whether or not society is pressuring you to. And if you don't wanna have children, actually <laughs> um, you're wrong because you're gonna change your mind when you meet the right partner or because your biological clock is gonna start ticking and winding down. These expectations and assumptions are rigid, they do not apply to everyone, and it's very frustrating. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, in a committee opinion piece entitled Sterilization of Women, Ethical Issues and Considerations, quote, 14% of sterilized women request information about sterilization reversal, though only approximately 1% of women obtain the procedure, end quote. In other words, only 14% of women who go through with a tubal ligation seek out information about getting that procedure reversed, and only 1% of these women go through with the reversal procedure. So this intense fear that women will change their mind or regret the decision to be sterilized later on, it is not a fear that is that justified, because women changing their mind about it does not seem to be that common. It's far more common for women who have had a tubal ligation to be very happy and confident in their choice and never express any regret. In this same committee opinion piece, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists make several recommendations regarding the permanent sterilization of women. So here are a few of these recommendations that are particularly relevant to this discussion. One of them, in fact, the first one is, quote, respect for an individual woman's reproductive autonomy should be the primary concern guiding sterilization provision and policy. Let me say part of that again. Respect for an individual woman's reproductive autonomy should be the primary concern. Yes, I agree. That's great. If only that was actually enforced. Next recommendation is, quote, It is ethically permissible to perform a requested sterilization in nulliparous women and young women who do not wish to have children. A request for sterilization in a young woman without children should not automatically trigger a mental health consultation. Although physicians understandably wish to avoid precipitating sterilization regret in women, they should avoid paternalism as well. Now, let me rephrase that because I didn't completely understand what what all of that meant right away. Basically, it's saying it is okay to perform sterilization on a woman or a person with a uterus who has never had children, that's what nulliparous means, or who never wants to have children. And you shouldn't automatically assume that they are mentally ill because they don't want children. Not that there's anything wrong with being mentally ill. And, doctor person, if you're worried the person might regret having the procedure later on, don't use that as an excuse to decide they shouldn't have autonomy over their own body and reproductive health. So again, these are a couple recommendations from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists their recommendations. It's not the law. Here's the law. And again, I'm citing sterilization of women, ethical issues and considerations from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Quote, in 1976, the US Department of Health, Education and Welfare developed protective regulations for Medicaid funded sterilizations. The regulations prohibit sterilization of women younger than 21 years old and of women with mental disabilities, require waiting periods between the time of consent and the sterilization procedure, currently a 30-day waiting period, and require the use of a standardized consent form, end quote. Now, there's a whole discussion to be had about people with developmental disabilities and mental illness being discriminated against. I'll save that conversation for a later episode. But as Megan said earlier, for Medicaid-funded sterilization, women just need to be 21 or older and to be of air quotes, sound mind. By the way, these regulations were put in place in 1976 to prevent coercive or non-consensual sterilization procedures, because in the United States, quote, many low-income women and women of color in public hospitals were subjected to state and federal programs aimed at limiting their fertility. Between 1909 and 1979, physicians performed more than 60,000 forcible sterilizations in government-organized programs, end quote. Simply horrifying. And as Megan speculated, if you're paying out of pocket or with private insurance for a tubal ligation, from what I've gathered, there are no legal regulations at all, in the sense that there aren't these 30-day mandatory waiting periods Uh, a woman could conceivably be younger than 21 and still receive a tubal ligation, things like that. Not that any of these regulations are followed by many, many doctors and hospitals, as these numerous anecdotes about women being refused sterilization procedures show. So there you have it. Another way in which the U.S. healthcare system is full of sludge because of patriarchal standards and medical sexism. Boo. I think that does it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. A five-star rating and a positive review would be ideal. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sludgepodcast. Feel free to email me at sludgestorypodcast at gmail.com with your healthcare horror stories, which I may share with your permission, of course. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, I hope everyone is safe and healthy and doing as well as you possibly can considering the circumstances. Uh, Hang in there. And until next time, be sludge free. (laughs) Bye-bye.